Thank you for being here today. Are you glad you're here? Some of you almost missed it. <laughs> we'll have some more coming here in about an hour. It'll be all right, though. We're here, and God's here. I firmly believe with all of my heart that some of you are on the edge of a blessing. I really believe that. But I also believe that there's such a storm going on in your life that it's hard for you to see the blessing. And I think, I think you're struggling with that. So my prayer has been this week, God, help our people to look beyond the storm that they're in to see the blessing that you want for them because God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing for others. Amen? Amen. I'm not sure if you remember everything I said to you last week because I know how things are. And uh, I'm not sure if you heard me say last week in the message that I preached that if you're going to fully benefit from the covering of God, that you have to be in covenant with God and that you also must align yourself under his covenant rule for your life. Now, those are very important. You, you need to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ to be in covenant with God. Amen? You got to be saved. You got to know the Lord. And you also need to be submissive to his lordship in your life. Now, that's where we usually get into trouble. When we mention that word, submissive. Most people, when they realize what sin has done to them, that it's made us lost and separated from God, most people are willing to accept God's gracious offer of salvation and eternal life. Most people want to go to heaven, amen? We don't want to stay down here. We don't want to go to that other place. We want to go to heaven. So most people don't have a problem receiving that precious gift of eternal life. So being saved from the consequences of your sin uh, is, is not uh, a problem for most people. However, being submissive is a whole nother animal. People don't like that word. I've had several conversations this week when we talked about the word submission. Let's face it, and let's be honest. Most of us want to be our own boss. We want to drive our own ship. We want to make our own decisions. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. We don't want somebody else telling us how to live our lives. Uh, we want to make our own decisions. We want to make our own rules. Very few people cherish the idea of living by somebody else's rules. Had that discussion again a couple times this week. You, you see that played out a lot when our children grow up and become teenagers in our homes on the brink of adulthood. And, and there's that parent-teenager interaction where there are still some rules, but there's the flexing of new wings and uh, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, moms and dads, right? There's a struggle there. We see it all the time when teenagers grow up and they start getting ready to be out on their own. Sometimes that can't happen fast enough. Sometimes it happens too fast. Here's what I want you to understand. God does have rules that we're supposed to live our lives by. God has rules. Isaiah 45 verse 18 says, For the Lord is God, 
and he created the heavens and the earth and he put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. What do you have when you don't have leadership? You have chaos. God's world, God's universe is not chaotic. He brought it from that that chaoticness to to a form of, of, of peace and harmony. He goes on to say, I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other, no other person but God. He says, I am God. That's the word Elohim. It means in the Hebrew, the all-powerful one. He said, my name is Lord. We would say that is Yahweh or Jehovah. He says, there's none like me. He is the only one that can create something from nothing. Had that discussion earlier. God existed before anything else existed. It's hard for us to wrap our little peanut brain around the fact that there was a time when nothing existed but God. Nothing. And then God spoke everything into existence. He is the creator of everything. Now, being the one and only sovereign God, he has absolute right to rule his creation. He makes the rules and he expects us, to, uh, his creation, to follow them and also to follow him. Look at what Paul wrote in Acts chapter 17. He says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need there is. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand which should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. God is a boundary determiner. He decides how far you go and, uh, and, and where you get there and how you get there and when you get there. Now, Dr. Evans says any king, any governing body, any family, any institution that claims absolute power has rebelled against God. Since God has centralized all power within himself, whenever people try to centralize power in themselves, God intervenes to break up their attempt at autonomy and their declaration of independence. Now, God will do that to nations. He'll do that to churches, he'll do that to families, and he'll certainly do that to you as well. Why? Because he is sovereign ruler of the universe. Now when you think about it, what God did to the people there at the Tower of Babel is an exact example of this spiritual reality. I remind you of what scripture says in Genesis chapter 11. It says, at one time the whole world spoke a single language and use the same words. Can you imagine that? Everybody could communicate. It says, as the people migrated eastward, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there, and they began to talk about construction projects. Come, they said, uh, let us make great piles of burnt bricks and collect natural asphalt to use as mortar. Let us build a great city with a tower that reaches to the skies, a monument to our greatness. 
This will bring us together, they said, and keep us from scattering all over the world. They were wanting to everybody to live together, but it says in verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And look, he said, if they can accomplish this when they have just begun to take advantage of their common language and their political unity, just think what they will do later. Nothing will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and give them different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the earth. And that ended the building of the city. That is why the city was called Babel. Because it was there that the Lord confused the people by giving them many languages, thus scattering them across the earth. Listen, what you see in this passage of Scripture is the end result of walking away from God. It is a product of claiming personal independence. They, they plan to build a civilization absent of God. Reminds me of what we're trying to do here in America. Many people are trying to build a great nation without God. We started with God, but I'm not so sure we're still there. They desired to be religious without God. They were going to build a tower way up into the skies. They wanted to be above God. They sought self-glorification. They wanted a name for themselves. They weren't interested in the name of God. And God looked down from heaven and he saw what they were doing and it says that he didn't like what he saw. God's number one concern was that man was trying to centralize power in their own hands without him. He saw man trying to become his own God. Man was basically saying, let's come together and let's make for ourselves a great name and let's consolidate that power and build a one world government that we can rule the universe from. And what did God say? Not in my universe you won't. And in verse nine, 8 and 9, we see that God took some drastic measures and he confused their language. This is exactly the opposite of Pentecost. He instantly made them all speak different languages. He destroyed their ability to communicate. He brought their construction project to a screeching halt and he scattered them all over the earth. He, he decentralized their power and their plans at the same time. They refused to follow God and so God helped them to wander about the earth aimlessly. Without purpose, he said, if you don't want me to be a part of your life, then I will help you to understand what that's going to be like, and I promise you, you won't like it. I believe that that's where it all began, but we as human beings have a natural tendency to wander away from God. Isaiah spoke of that in the 53rd chapter, verse 6. He says, all of us have strayed away like sheep. Anybody raised sheep in here before? Anybody? A few people. You know, that's a habit they have. They'll just graze right on away from you. And then get out there 25, 30 feet from you and have a panic attack. And they'll run right back to you, get between your legs, want you to pet them, calm them down. And then they'll start eating grass. And next thing you know, they're wandering away again. And they'll get right. It's a cycle. They go through it over and over and over again. And we are just like them. He said, we have all left God's path 
to follow our own. It's just natural for us to do that. If you know anything about sheep, you know that they are prone to wander aimlessly and inadvertently put themselves in all kinds of dangerous situations. That particular flaw exposes them to all kinds of predators and poachers and even uh, polluted water that could cause them to get sick and die. Sheep are cute, but they're clueless. They really are. They're clueless. They, they're totally unaware of any danger or threat that might be out there. In fact, and I'll just say it, they're pretty dumb animals. They're just dumb. They, they, they don't know how to take care of themselves. They need somebody to take care of, of them. So sheep need a wise and a watchful shepherd to lead them away from all the hazards, to protect them from the predators, and to tenderly care for them and nurture them and meet all of their needs. Now, what's interesting is that in God's word, he compares you and me to sheep that need a shepherd. Now, some of you are offended because I said they're dumb. But we don't always make good decisions, do we? Hey, look, look at what is written in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew records that Jesus traveled through all the cities and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogue and announcing the good news about the kingdom. It says that uh, wherever he went, he healed people of every sort of disease and illness, in verse 36, it said he felt great pity for the crowds that came because their problems were so great, they didn't know where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. We're just like them. We're like young lambs that unintentionally wander into very difficult and dangerous situations. Uh, we tend to do that. It just comes natural to us. We tend to get off the path that God has and get on to other paths that are available. Proverbs 16.25 says there's a path before each person that seems right. But in the end it leads to death. Well, what exactly does that mean? I believe it means that when we're operating outside of our natural instincts without God's guidance, that we unwittingly choose a path of destruction. It's easy for us to get there. It's kind of natural. It goes all the way back to that time when God confused people, and I believe even beyond that to the garden where that first sinful choice was made. In Romans chapter 7, verse 5, it says that in the past, we were ruled by our sinful nature. Perhaps that's the reason why we get in so much trouble and we face so much confusion when making our own decisions. You do realize that as a Christian, you, st you still have a sin nature. You know, I've had Christians argue that with me. No, I don't have a sin nature. I go, oh, yeah, you do. As long as you're in the flesh, you're going to have that sin nature. You will not get rid of it until you're raptured and taken out of here. You die and leave your body behind. Unfortunately, that sin nature often gets the best of us. That, that's what we call spiritual warfare. When it wants us to do one thing and God wants us to do another. We tend to do what our sin nature wants us to do. It's easy to do that. Paul talks about it in Galatians 5.13. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom. Thank God for freedom. 
But he says, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. Now, we're told to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and body, right? Amen? We're told to love God and our neighbor as ourselves. but what happens? We tend to focus on doing what our sin nature wants us to do. We forget about loving God. We forget about loving our neighbor. He goes on here in verse 14 to say, for the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. We go, you know, I'd rather just love God. (laughs) No, no, no. If you can't love your neighbor as yourself, you can't love God. Scripture says that. If you can't love who you see, you can't love who you have not seen. He says in verse 15, but if, but if instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another, he says, watch out. It's my job as pastor to say, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. He goes on in verse 16 to say, so I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sin nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are, that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. He says these two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. As long as you live in this earthly body, there will be a war going on inside of you. There's that old nature that will battle that new nature in Christ. Every day when you get up, you have to decide, who am I going to follow? You have to decide who is going to rule in your life that day. It is a fresh decision every day. That's why you need to start off in the morning with the word of God. And the Spirit of God speaking to you in a quiet time. Because the war is going to come. It won't be long in that day before you have a decision to make. And you'll make it based on who you fed the most that morning as you begin your day. Look at what Paul writes. He said, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourself completely to who? To God. That's where we get in trouble. We give God a percentage of our life. We go, God, you can have this much, but I'm going to keep the rest of this for me. He said, give everything to God. Since you have been given new life, and he said, then use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Now, friends, God knows that we're prone to wonder. He also knows that we don't always make the best choices, and that is why I believe that he placed a part of himself inside of us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us in the way that God would have us to go. He wants to guide us and help us to make the right decisions. Beyond that, I believe that as the creator of all that exists, God has even established governing bodies through which his rule is to be carried out. Now think about that. 
I believe he's established four forms of authority to help govern us and accomplish his will. He has put government out there in four forms to create boundaries that we're to live within. And all of that is meant to function under his divine authority. He is above all that he has created. Now, Dr. Evans again says God's kingdom agenda not only decentralizes power, but it governs through plural institutions. Paul said it this way, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, I want you to notice that these governing authorities are plural in number. That means they're uh, there's more than just one kind. The, the concept of multiple delegated authority is patterned, I believe, after the Trinity, who is in perfect unity. Again, had that discussion this morning about God and about Jesus. Well, God is just one God, is he not? Amen? There's only one God. We don't, you know, the Jehovah's Witness, they, they accuse us of worshiping three gods. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But folks, that's not three gods. That's one God seen in three different persons. One God. God is perfect in unity. Yes, God has three persons. So there is diversity of function but they're the same in position. They're just different in purpose. They are co-equal. Each is equally God, and yet each has specific tasks that they accomplished in a unified purpose within God's kingdom agenda. So divine government then establishes the pattern for human government. In fact, there are four levels of government Authority that God has established. And I want to, we're going to focus on this this morning. Here's the first. There's self-government. There's family government. There's church government. And then there's civil government. Now, I'm going to say before we jump into this, and, and you need to hang on to this. This is important. As goes each individual, so goes the family. And as goes the family... So goes your church. And as goes the church, so goes our nation. You let any one of those suffer and get out of balance and we got a big problem. So let's look at this first form of government that God talks about that he established. It's called self-government. By self-government, I'm talking about your personal ability to control your attitude and your actions apart from any external coercion. Solomon said it this way. He said, a person without self-control is as defenseless as a city with a broken down wall. If you don't have a wall around your city, it's easy for you to be defeated, easy for you to be destroyed. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, Paul writes, when the Holy Spirit, and I would just have to add this word, if the Holy Spirit controls your life. Why? Because not everybody's controlled by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Oh, me. When the Holy Spirit controls our life, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Spiritual fruit, godly fruit, 
Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Bible tells us that you have to be able to self-govern yourself in order to be considered as a spiritual leader in the church. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he, he wrote these words. It is a true saying that if someone wants to be an elder, that is the word presbyteros in the Greek. It means elder or pastor. If somebody wants to be a pastor, he desires an honorable responsibility. For an elder must be a man whose life cannot be spoken against. In other words, you need to be above reproach, above accusation. He said he must exhibit self-control. Live wisely and have a good reputation. The ability to control yourself, to self-govern properly is the foundation of personal leadership it is also the building block upon which every other form of government rests since those who cannot govern or control themselves properly cannot lead other people. That's what scripture says. So it is the ultimate goal of God for us to govern ourselves under his sovereign rule. We're to live under his control. We're to live under his rules. And you want to know why? Because one day, every one of us will have to give account of ourselves to God. We're going to have to give account for how we've lived our life. That's what Paul says. He said each of us will have to give a personal account to God. In other words, you're going to have to answer for everything you did. Now, how many of you are ready to go do that today? That's scary. Because none of us in here are angels. We all have a past. It's scary to think that one day there will be people that have to stand before God. And you know what? It's not going to be a guessing game for God. He's got a little memory stick with your name on it. And he'll plug it into that supercomputer. And he'll play your life story from A to Z, from 1 to infinity, and he's going, to be show, he's going to show you everything you ever did. Some of you are ready. You're looking for the back door already. That's a scary thought. Look at what Jesus said is going to happen when he comes back. He says, for I, the Son of Man, will come in the glory of my Father with his angels and will judge all people according to their deeds. He knows every sin you've ever committed. Got them numbered. He knows exactly the day you did it and what you did and why you did it. He even knows your motive, why you did it. Peter writes, but just remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Now, most Christians go, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm beyond that. I don't have to worry about that. No, <laughs> let me tell you something. Every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. During, I believe, that seven years of tribulation when we're with Christ in the heavens, I believe we're going to have to answer to him for the way we've lived our life as a Christian. Because your rewards are based off your good deeds. And you might start out with a, a stack of deeds this high. 
that you hope to get rewarded for. But when God checks your motives, that number may just shrink a little bit, you know. And so you don't get as much as you thought you were going to get. Every Christian will answer for how you've lived your life. But every unbeliever is also going to stand before the great white throne judgment of God to be judged. And when you stand before God, listen, you're going to be right by yourself. Your family won't be there to support you, to encourage you. You can't phone a friend for help. You're not even going to be able to hire a lawyer to plead your case. When you stand before God all alone, you're going to have to give account for the way that you have governed your life. Self-government is important. Again, Dr. Evans says, if you're going to live life the way life was meant to be lived in God's kingdom, then you must learn to govern your life according to his rules. Not yours, not mine, not man's, but God's rules. So you know what? You can be an asset to the governments that God has put in place and established, or you can be a liability. You can be a helper, a hindrance, a, a blessing, or a curse. It all depends on just two things. Self-control is number one. And number two is living under God's rule. Self-government is important. Now, let's talk about family government. Y'all are going to really like me on this one. Family government. You know, God's designed family government to be led by husbands who are divinely appointed as spiritual leaders of the home. Don't throw too many books at me. You know what the Bible says? God intends for men to lead their homes. You know, I believe that that's never going to change. I don't care what we do. I don't care how we redefine the family or we, we you know, shuffle things around. I don't think it's ever going to change. Husbands are divinely designed to be spiritual leaders. And you will always be that spiritual leader, man. Listen to me. Whether you're a good one or a bad one, that is your job. To be the spiritual leader of your home. There used to be a time when it was understood that like Joshua, men were to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There used to be a time when we did that, but we've drifted away from that. In biblical family government, the responsibility of educating your children rests entirely with the home and with parents. According to God's word, it is the duty of parents and not the state to educate your children and to make sure that they're raised in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Again, Dr. Evans said the family is the backbone of biblical society. That is why when family government fails, woe to everything else because everything else is predicated on the family. He says the saga of the, a nation is the saga of its families written large. As goes the individual, so goes the family. And as goes the family, so goes the church. Well, let's look at church government for a minute. And I'm going to be kind of brief here. Church government, a lot could be said. Paul said it like this. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and warn you against all that is wrong. That's our job. 
Think highly of them and give them your wholehearted love because of their work. And, and notice this last little statement here. And remember to live peacefully with each other. Now, why did he throw that in there? <laughs> to make my job a little bit easier. Amen? Look at Hebrews 13. He says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they know that they are accountable to God. Look, I want you to know something. I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking about some of you. I'm serious. I'm as serious as a heart attack. I'm telling you, it, it's a scary thought that one day I'm going to have to give account to God for my ministry to you. And I don't take that lightly. I pray for you. Sometimes I beg God for you. We all need somebody praying for us. He says, give them reason to do this joyfully and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Again, one of the most important things that I've ever read that Dr. Evans says about church government is this statement. He says, the church's purpose is to equip you to live before God with proper self-government. The job of the church is not to solve all your problems, but part of it is to show you how to solve your problems under God, His way, according to His rules. The church can assist you in doing that, but it cannot do that for you. I can't fix your problems. I can show you how God wants you to fix your problems. But you have to make decisions counter to those decisions that got you in trouble in the first place. You have to start making right decisions. That's how you get yourself out of the hole. Yeah. Of the four governments, the family and the church, I believe, are the two most important forms of government. If you destroy the family and you destroy the church, no nation will stand for very long. And no individual will prosper and live in freedom. You need to pray for the family and you need to pray for your church. They are very, very important. Now... That leads to the fourth government, civil government. And I'm going to say even less about that. I could spend a long time here, but I'm not. The biblical role of civil, civil government is to maintain a safe, just, and righteous environment where freedom can grow and flourish. And the smaller, the better. The smaller, the better. Decentralized. Under God's rule is where we need to be. Now, God's kingdom agenda operates to bring his blessings to these government institutions that are willing to follow him and follow under his rule. Deuteronomy 29.9 says, You must carefully obey everything in this agreement or in this covenant so that you will succeed in everything you do. God does bless you as you honor him as your God 
and the ruler of your world and your life. Now, Psalms 128 is an amazing psalm, and, and I'm, I'm going to make some comments about it because I believe it teaches you this truth. You can see the progression of blessing being given by God to those who obey him. In verses 1 and 2, you see that God blesses you when you take serious your personal responsibility to live your life under control, self-governing yourself. He says, how happy are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. He said, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How happy you will be, how rich your life will be. God blesses you when you live under control. God then can bless your family. Look at verse 3. He says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing within your home. And look at all those children. There they sit around your table as vigorous and healthy as young olive trees. He says in verse 4, that is the Lord's reward for those who fear him. Listen, men, when we bring our lives under control with God, that's when God blesses your maid and your children. Next, in verse 5, he tells us that he is, next to be blessed is this and this progress or this progression is your church. Look at verse five. He said, "May the Lord continually bless you from Zion." Now, Zion was that place of worship where the temple was located. We're beyond that. We're in the church age. The church is not a place, and it's not a building, is it? It's the people of God. And when the church acts like the church and lives like the church ought to live, God will bless its members and its families as they align themselves under the rule of God. Obedience to God has a trickle-up effect. Not a trickle-down, but a trickle-up effect. So what happens when individual believers and Christian families and the church gets right with God? What happens? That is when the government of our nation begins to experience blessings from God. Look at verse 5. It says, he says, may you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. You could put America there. May you see America prosper as long as you live. And may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. That's a fun thing to do. Because, you know, we, we can spoil them and send them home let moms and dads deal with them. I think every, every grandparent will do that. Amen? I love you, Leah. <laughs> he says, and may America have quietness and peace. When people govern themselves under God, that is when you have peace and that is when you have blessings. Well, where does all that start? You ever thought about that? Where, where does it start? Where do the blessings start? It starts with you and it starts with me. It starts with individuals. Neither the family nor the church nor the nation will ever experience revival or spiritual awakening until you have a personal one yourself. I, I heard this a long time ago when I was a teenager. If you want your church to have revival, you need to have it first. I have to draw near to God. 
in repentance and in commitment before my family will, before my church will, and before my nation will. It has to start with me. It has to start with you. It has to start with each of us. You see, God's blessings, for them to flow, I have to be in alignment with his rule and with his word and with his will and with his ways. I have to come under his lordship. And we say that, but we, we, don't, we don't really get serious about it. The lordship of Christ is not, it's not something just to say and not do. The word Lord means to whom I belong. I've had people say to me, well, how in the world? You used to live in Florida. How did you get from Florida to Virginia? It's one word, God. I tell kids when, when they're about to accept Jesus into their heart, I say, do you understand that once you pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You give yourself to God and God has a right to tell you where you want to live, where he wants you to live and what he wants you to do. Oh, is that what it means? I thought it was just about getting into heaven. No, no. I think we all need to learn some things, amen? And you know, we can learn from the smallest of creatures, the smallest of teachers. And I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about the ant. That little bitty creature. I, I, I went to feed my lab the other day. And I noticed in the corner down by the door in our house. And it happens this time of year. There were some sugar ants that had gathered by the baseboard. And I quickly got the hot shot and I sent them to Aunt Heaven. <laughs> There's not such a place, don't know. <laughs> Ants have three amazing and inspiring qualities. I challenge you to study the ant. They're known for personal, personal initiative, for cooperation. And for diligence. Solomon says about the ant. He says take a lesson from the ant. You lazy bones. He says learn from their ways. And be wise. Even though they have no prince. Or governor or ruler. To make them work. Young people hear this. They labor hard. All summer. Gathering food. For the winter. For the winter. You see ants take personal responsibility for their share of the work. They do their part. You won't mind me saying this. I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Okay. I tell our faith team when we go out on Monday night and we knock on doors. The people that we visit are not always the people who come to church the next Sunday. But God always honors when we go out. And, and how many people come the next Sunday, I believe, 
in many cases is a direct proportion to our going out. If you prepare and go, God will bless. Right, Bill? We see that happen all the time. So I'm going to apply that same principle to this. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And if you want more children in your church, then what do you do? You prepare for them. Are you hearing me, church? We have the potential to have a huge children's ministry in our church. And we will have whatever we prepare for. If we want more kids, then we get more adults involved in children's ministry. If, if every one of us took one Sunday and worked back in the back with children or preschool or nursery, we would probably not have to work there but once or twice a year. You have a, res- a world of resources within yourself that could help our children to grow and become everything God wants them to be. But you're cheating our kids when you don't plug in. I don't care how old you are. You know, I I hear this all the time. Well, uh, my kids are up and grown. I'm done. No, 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 no. You're just mature and seasoned, and we need you back there more than ever. Amen. So, listen. Everybody, if you'll just contribute a little bit, we'll have more kids around here than we can catch. And wouldn't that be a good thing? I, I remember we painted... We painted our worship center down in North Carolina. We painted this nice hall, nice and pretty. We had it nice. And, and this one man in a, in, a, in, a, in a business meeting said, well, I'm just sick and tired of all those handprints up and down that wall. And I said, well, thank God we got some kids to make handprints up and down that wall. Children are a blessing. But you have to, you have to take care of them. And so I'm challenging you as a church. We need to plug in more. They got room for you back there. Sign up. See, see uh, the, the, the workers back there. Mary Ann, I guarantee you'll sign you up. Amen? <laughs> I didn't even know you were in here. <laughs> Thank you. you can pay me later. Ants take personal responsibility for their share of the task. They are still self-starters. They accept their task. They, they go to work. They get involved. They often carry objects many times their own weight. They always work in unison with all the other ants. They can build. They can clean. They can gather. They can provide for. They even defend their own homes. And what's really amazing is that together they're able to completely to, to do some completely amazing projects. Do you have any idea what the largest ant colony size is? This is going to blow your mind, I promise you. I looked it up. Guinness World Book of Records says that the largest ant colony measures 3,700 miles. Single ant colony. Can you imagine that? How in the world can something so small do something so great? Well, it has everything to do with attitude. 
You don't see attitude problems in an ant colony. You don't. Check me out. I, I guarantee you I'm pretty right there. It all, it's all about personal initiative. It's about cooperation. It's about diligence. You know, it's never about any one ant. It's always about the colony. Ants know how to live and work beyond themselves. They are disciplined and they are diligent. They know how to work together. And each does his part. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, Paul says some special words to us. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Do you understand? You're, you're a Mona Lisa. Well, I'm fudging a little bit there. You're a masterpiece, God's creation, the crowning act of his creation. You're something special in the eyes of God. Well, look, God didn't just create you to be special. He goes on to say, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that. Circle those two words, so that. Very important you do that. So that we can do, and you can underline that word really big. So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You have been saved to serve, not to sit. You have been saved to share, not to soak. And we're to stand up and speak up. Now, here, here's my challenge, church. This is invitation. My challenge. I guarantee you if I gave everybody a, a note card here and a pen or a pencil, you could describe for me in detail the storm that you're in or the trouble that you're involved in, what's going on in your life. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got a story, right? Everybody here is worried about something. And you're going through something. You're trying to figure out how to get yourself through it or how to, how to get yourself beyond it. But instead of focusing on that problem this morning, I want you to think about the ant. Do you see him? I got two of them. They're little creatures. Think about the ant. And then I want you to ask God, the Father above, what he wants you to do with your life. We know what the ant does. What does God want you to do? And I want you to listen to God. And I want you to take personal initiative to get busy doing what God puts on your heart to do. And I want you to look for ways to work together with all those around you. And I want you to be disciplined and, 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 and diligent. And above all, I want you to live under God's rule. Because when you get under that covering of his umbrella, that is where you're blessed. And that is where you can be a blessing for others. God wants to make you a blessing. But you have to be in covenant with him. And you have to be under his lordship, his rule. For you to be a blessing that he wants you to be. My, my question to you is, are you there? Are you in covenant with the Lord? If, if you were to die today, would you make it into heaven? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he? Because that's no light matter. None of us are guaranteed the rest of the day. 
We might not see tomorrow. So are you in covenant with him? And, and if you are, be honest also. Are, are, are you running your life? Are you steering your ship? Or is God ruling your life? What do you need to do to be where God wants you to be? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that you're a God of love and grace and mercy and one who is so patient with us. And I'm thankful, Lord, that today your arms are still open wide and people can still come to you and find grace and mercy that they desperately need. And they can give their life to you and they can trust you. Not only with the storm that they're in right now, but with their eternity. Father, I pray for everybody in this room because, Lord, they're special in your eyes. You love them, Father. You've already demonstrated that love. You love them far more than you uh, can ever express to us other than what went on at the cross. The greatest expression of love was your son dying for us. That's hard for us to get a hold of because we, we weren't there. We didn't see that. We read about it, but... We're living 2,000 years removed from that event. And yet, Lord, your love has not waned in any way. You love us more today than ever before. I ask God that you bless us today to come close to you. Some may need to be saved. Others may need to recommit their lives to you. Others need to turn loose of their life and let you rule it, Lord. Whatever needs to be done so that you receive the glory that you deserve, and God, we receive the peace and the joy that we need. God, help us. Help us to move closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's respond to the Lord as God leads and puts in your heart to do. Please do that. Let God rule in your life.